Come let us adore him, part one, the why of worship. We're going to start a series called Come Let Us Adore Him, and we're going to talk about worship. Somebody say worship. worship. And somebody might be thinking, oh no, a series about worship. Like last series was about wisdom, and we all need wisdom. But I wonder how many of here are thinking, worship, really? I don't know if I want to hear a whole message series on worship. And I'm talking in particular about what we just did in this service. We just worshiped, right? We just sang songs in worship to God. And worship is a huge part of the Christian faith. It is a large part of what we do. Now, some of you will say, yes, but there's worship outside of this building, right, Pastor? Yes, not singing, working admirably and honorably for the Lord, loving your neighbor. I believe those are forms of worship. But today, and in this series, we are going to talk about how we worship and why we worship and what worship looks like. And it's going to lead us right into our Christmas, uh, our before Christmas weekend and stop on that weekend. And then we have a special service called uh, the Christmas Eve service, candlelight service. But today we're talking about why. And so some of you might be of the opinion that this is like a series that you don't need, you don't even want, because you're not into the music portion of what we do here. You like it, you'll, and by that, you, by that I mean you like to watch it, but you're not really into it. And maybe some of you are under the impression that the worship moment in our services is like the pregame show. It's like the pregame show in the NFL. Like nobody except the diehards watch the pregame show. So to nobody in the church except the diehards really get into the singing portion of the service. Like some of you, you're new to the Christian faith. You're like, I'm not Christian enough to start singing the songs. Or you're like, I am not a good singer. And you guys ask me to sing. You don't want to hear me sing. On top of that, I don't want strangers to hear me sing. And so you're maybe under the impression worship is like the pregame show of the NFL and you only do that if you're really into it and so it's optional and you wait for the main event to start. What's the main event? Me. I'm the main event. That's the main event. Yes. I, I am. I know he's injured, but I am Steven Goskowski. Come on, somebody. I got my hand in the air, all right? We're all lined up. The pregame is over. All the talk, all the nonsense, all the things that don't really matter. And I take the stage and you see this. <laughs> now we're off, right? Now the game is started. And so some of you do this too. You don't come into the service because you think it's too loud. The music is too loud and it's too crazy. And it's, there's too many lights and there's just too much busyness. And I just want to warn you. Um, we're three weeks away from adding a whole bunch of more busyness, just letting you know. <laughs> but you're, you're under the impression that it's too loud. Like, it's so loud. I, I just like calm. I'm, I'm more one of those calm kind of people. And so your, your excuse for not coming in is, is, is because it's, it's not your style of music or it's too loud or whatever. And, and that's exactly why we have the earplugs for you at the doors. I don't know if you saw the earplug dispensers. Those are, those are not loaned to you, you keep those, okay? You take them and you keep them. And, and I don't care what you use them for outside this building, but don't give them back. But anyway, we try to make our worship moment and a, a moment of excitement because I believe that when it comes to our faith, we've got a lot to be excited about. We've got a lot to be thankful for. We've got a lot to celebrate. 
And so today we're going to celebrate. We're going to talk about why we celebrate. Okay, so take out your notes if you haven't already. I already told you that, but hopefully you're ready to take down the notes. Here's the theme of this series. Every series has a theme. Here's the theme of this series. We are shaped by what we love. We are shaped by what we love. Now, you might not think about this, but you are not the product of your decisions. I know you've heard that. We make, like the saying is, we make our choices and then our choices make us. No, wrong. Here's the thing you might want to just think about for for a second. Why do you make the choices that you make? Why do you choose this, not that? Why did you choose him and not the other guy? Or her, not the other girl? Because before we are people of decision, here's the thing, we are people of desire. The decision is rooted in desire that came before the decision. You might be sitting next to somebody with whom at one point in front of your friends and family and before a minister, you exchanged rings with this person. You made a vow to this person. You promised. You made that decision, though, based on a desire that came before that decision. The desire was immediately, the first desire was, wow, they're good looking. Or, wow, great personality. Or, wow, I really like them. Desire. I desire to be around them. Let me ask them out. You go out with them. You like them a little bit more. Let me ask them out again. Desire shapes the decision. Some of you are not sitting next to somebody. Some of you have not exchanged rings. Do you know why? Because that desire has not yet been met. You're still looking. You're, You're actually looking at the options and you're saying, no desire. Therefore, no decision, right? I mean, the, well, the decision is no decision, right? The decision is to say no. <laughs> and so what we have to remember is many of our decisions, all of our decisions really, are based on the desires that we had before the decision. Now, God knows this more than anybody. He created like this. We, he created us like this. We are people of emotion far more often than we are people of logical decision-making. Many of the best decisions that you made. You could say this honestly if we were all to be honest and and, and upfront about it. Most of the decisions that you make are based on what is feels right in here. And sometimes this factors into it, but let's be honest, there's a whole lot of this that goes into the decisions that we make. We even have a cultural euphemism. We say it like this, I'm just going to follow my what? Heart, right. How many people say, I'm just going to go with my brain on this one? (laughs) You know what? I'm just going to go with my cerebral cortex today. No. We go with our gut. We go with our instinct. We go with inside the desires of our heart. And and here's the thing. I I always always demean that today. Not demeaning it. I actually want to leverage it. I want to use it for worship and talking about this subject. Okay? Uh, Recently, a new diet fad has been introduced to my life. This might be an old diet fad. I'm not sure. Maybe it's new. But how many know there's always like a new diet fad? Right? How many remember Adkins diet? How many remember? That was no carbs, right? No potatoes, no starches, no pasta. And I'm half Italian. That was a tough one for me. You know? And so you had no carbs, no sugar going to the brain. You forgot your own name. Come on. How many remember that? Well, that was a diet fad in the 1990s or whatever. Now it is this new one, intermittent fasting. Have you heard of this? 12 to, 
you eat from 12 noon to 6 p.m. or 8 p.m. I've stretched it to 8.30 p.m., hallelujah, because I love me. And anyway, you eat during those hours, but then you intermittently fast from that hour until the next time that you're supposed to eat. I have a problem with this diet. And the problem is that I like to watch television at night. After the day is over, after I'm tired, I'm worn out, I really don't want to do anything anymore, and I just flick on my favorite comedy, and I get on Netflix, and I, and I binge a little bit, a couple of episodes of my favorite comedy at the time, just going one from the other to the other, doing probably what many of you do. And here's the problem with intermittent fasting for me. When I'm watching these comedies on television, inevitably, at 9.30 to 10.30 to 11.30 at night, I'm watching, and guess what the people on the comedy are doing? Eating. Eating. And it's like, man, as soon as they start eating, guess what? I want to start eating. And I have a desire, and then before I know it, I'm 30 minutes into the sitcom, and I'm halfway into my refrigerator searching for something to eat. And this is the human condition. My desire to eat late at night when I shouldn't eat late at night has been shaped by someone else's desire. Because someone else wanted to eat, they led me to want to eat. Here's the bad news about the fact that you are shaped by your desires and what you love. The bad news is many of our desires are shaped by the desires of other people. That's true. It's called commercialism. Many of the things that you buy, many of the things that you're into, Many of your loves have already been molded into your heart by someone beyond you, someone outside of you. And someone who wanted something from you. I want you to think about this with me. Your desires have already been shaped by the desire of someone else. Now, when it comes to commercials, real pop quiz for a second here, quick pop quiz. When it comes to commercials, someone is trying to sell you something. Why are they, what is the desire behind their decision to sell you something? What's the desire? Money. They want money from you, so they, they broadcast something in front of you. Now, I... I don't have a problem with that. That's just good old-fashioned capitalism. Yay, capitalism. Not a problem. We should do that. Free market economy, fine. But how many of us really want to be shaped um, unconsciously by the desires of other people? Nobody signs up for that. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be the, led around like with a hook in the nose or by a, like this cultural leash, if you will, of, oh, here's what's in now. Let me go buy that. And, and okay, that, that's not in now. And let me go buy this this year. And, 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 then, and then this is a Christmas season thing, isn't it? Like, like there used to be a Tickle Me Elmo. How many remember Tickle Me Elmo? Like that was the rage back in 1943, right? And everybody needed a Tickle Me Elmo for their kids. And then it was fur rabies. And then it, and then it was the stupid egg that hatched, the Hatchimal. Like that was a tough Christmas for me because my last name is Hatch. Hatchimal. I remember, I remember these things were going for like $1,000. There was a celebrity that was tweeting, live tweeting, live tweeting her Hatchimal hatching. 
It's a toy. It is a toy. I feel like Woody from Toy Story. It is a toy, right? And, and people were so into it. And then that year goes by. And then there's another year where you need to get this for your kid. And then you get this for your kid. And there's always something new that you have to have because someone on the other side of that product wants, desires your money. And you don't even realize this sometimes. But we are shaped, unfortunately, not by our desires, but by the desires of other people. A, to use a euphemism that is very popular right now in our culture, a lot of our economy is quid pro quo. How many of you want to live like that? Running around chasing the desires that other people have shaped for you. I don't think you want to live like that. I don't want to live like that. We want to be free. We want to be individuals. But we aren't. Here's why you need to worship. Here's why. Because God doesn't need anything from you. This is why you want to worship him. Okay, now, when I sat down to do this series, kind of map it out, the question that came instantly into my mind as soon as I felt the Lord say, I need you to talk about worship to the church. The first question, even as he said those words, a question came into my heart. I knew it was planted in my heart by God. Here's, what it, here's the question. God was almost asking me himself, Tim, do you think that I need you to worship me? And I started to have this conversation with the Lord, and I already knew where the conversation was going because we've had this conversation before. And I said, well, Lord, to be honest with you, I've read the Bible. You do ask us to worship you a lot. <laughs> right? It's all over the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. The number one commandment. Does anybody know? The number one commandment of the entire Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Worship. Love Him. And, and if you read the Bible, it's almost like, you might have this question, maybe you've even asked this question, and I don't fault you for it. You have this question for God. God, are you, are you an attention addict? <laughs> like, do you need all that, you know, wow, look at you? Because I'm, I'm a baby of the ch of family. Like, how many babies in the family, youngest children? Come on, how many know our number one problem is I need the feedback. I need you to like me. Because I have been on stage my whole life with the older siblings. The older siblings who hate me and the parents who think I can do no wrong. <laughs> or at least are just too tired to acknowledge that they did something wrong. <laughs> God, are you like that? Do you need that much attention? No. The Bible itself, God tells us, I don't really need anything from you, ever. Here's, here's a verse that I want you to see. It's in your notes, Acts chapter 17, verse 24. The God who made the world. And what's the next word? Everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man. He doesn't even need this church building. He doesn't need the temples. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, next phrase, as though he needed anything. Translation, God needs nothing. So why are we called to worship him endlessly if he doesn't need it? Here's why. I want you to write it down. We don't worship God because he needs it. We worship God because we need it. 
In a culture of consumerism, in a culture of I've got to get this for my kid or they're going to be profoundly disappointed with me this Christmas, in a culture of I better get her the ring she wants, I better get him the jacket he wants, I better get the thing that is really in and everybody else thinks is really in and all my desires have been shaped not by my own flesh and my own heart but by the influence of other people in this consumeristic culture we need someone to be there for us and not need us and when we enter into worship of God we are entering into a relationship where there is no quid pro quo where there's no ulterior motives on the other side of the person who wants it we actually when we enter into worship of God we enter into freedom because there's nothing he needs from us. Are you following this? Because this is good preaching. And I'm trying to just lay a groundwork for why we're talking about worship during Christmas shopping season. So that you learn how to truly be free by setting your highest desire on the God who is truly free and wants to give you a taste of that freedom. So with that in mind, let's get into the text of the Bible. Psalm 95 is where we are. It's on your notes there. If you have turned to it already, wonderful. Or if not, I would just read it for you. Would you stand with me across this room? Psalm 95, a call to worship. And here's the psalmist's words to us. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work for 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart and have not known my ways therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest backing all the way back up to verse 1 oh come let us sing to the Lord this is God's word let's pray Heavenly Father I ask these next few moments are governed by the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we will learn what it means to love you. Why it is our greatest affection. Why it must be our most compelling activity. Set us free to worship you and help us to see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. There's a call to worship in Psalm 95, and here's three points around this text. Number one, 
Worship consists of physical practices which shape my heart. Write this down. Worship consists of physical practices which shape my heart. This is a reality of worship. Did you see how many physical practices we are invited to do before the Lord in this psalm? Sing appears like four times. Make noise. Make noise to God. That's a physical activity. How about this? Worship and bow down. Verse 6. Kneel. Singing, noise making, bowing, kneeling, physical practices. And the let us, let us appears all over this text, meaning let us not do this in the privacy of our own homes only. Let us do this in community with the rest of God's people. In other words, this is supposed to be a corporate activity where you do it in front of others. Now, some might, some might wonder, and I think that this is, this is a question that is on a lot of people's minds. Why can't Christianity just be an internal thing? Why can't it just be about what's going on in the inside? Like what all, all this outside stuff, that's not, that's not necessary. It's really just about believing the right things and, you know, giving your heart to Jesus and, and just having an internal experience with God. And I want to say that is a bunch of nonsense because here's the reason why it can't just be about the inside. We don't treat any other relationship that way. No other human interaction between myself and another person exists solely on the inside. We don't even do it with strangers. We don't even do it with strangers. I'm going to need a volunteer for this next part of the sermon. Can I have a volunteer? Um, Paul, raise your hand. <laughs> Thank you for volunteering. Come up. Love you too, Mark. Paul, I want you to pretend that you've never met me and that we're strangers and these people are not here and you are not on television in front of 4,000 homes in New England. <laughs> All right, so we're just strangers. So let's just act like we're seeing each other for the first time. Are you ready? Get, get wide on that camera shot. Here we go. Ready? Hey, uh, you don't know my name. No, you don't know my name. Let's try this again, Paul. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Yeah, I know. You got the name tag, but we're going to pretend it's not there. Strangers. Let's, let's go again. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, Paul. I'm Tim. How are you? Nice to meet you. Nice right. to meet you. Yeah. How, how, how did that go down just there? Right there. What, what, what happened? Physical activity. He extended his hand. Verbal activity. He said something to me. And the thing about this, I, I, well, actually, let me, let me ask this question first, Paul. Why did you do that? Why, why did you do that to strangers? Just to greet greet them. But, but why? What, what about them? To know about them. To know about them. And what else? What, what, what would we call that? We call that common what? Courtesy. Courtesy. Like I show you courtesy because of you are a human. You are not a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there is something of value in you. And the thing about this is he shook my hand he didn't know if I was an axe murderer. <laughs> I, 
I could have killed someone last night. He doesn't know. I could be cheating on my wife right now. Like I could, be, I could be coming home from having a dalliance with someone that is not my wife. You don't know? I could be one of those people who goes to the bathroom and never washes their hands. <laughs> that changed things quickly. I am a person that washes his hands, so just so you know, I washed them right before I got up here for this illustration. Thank you, Paul. You're all set. Thank you for your volunteering. It was great. Here's my point. If we're willing to do that for strangers that we don't even know, how much more should we do it for the God we do know? How much more should we do it for the God who washes not his hands, but washes our sins away? And, and, and we're going to act like, no, we're just kind of inside people. That's what it should be. No, this is common courtesy for strangers we're talking about. I think when it comes to our father who sent his son to die on a cross for us, it should go well beyond common courtesy, and it should go into the joyful noise category. This is, this is why the psalmist says this, doesn't it? In Psalm 95, verse 1, let's put it up on the screen again. Let us make a joyful, what? Noise and the word noise in Hebrew is ruha, ruha. Like, like, how many Marines are in the house? Yes, ruha. The Marines know. Why do the Marines do that? Who's the Marine over here? Why do you guys do that? You don't know. Okay, they do it. You know why he does it? You know why he does it? Because everybody else is doing it. That's what worship does. Worship gets other people excited about what you're excited about. You say, oh, New England is just a dead area. New England, the people are just so quiet about Jesus. Well, then Church of New England, get up on your feet and worship Jesus and let the world know he's better than anything around. <laughs> Love that word. And some of you are like, well, I, I'm a quiet person. I'm a quiet person. I just like to be quiet. I don't really express myself. I walk around very quiet. I'm a quiet person. No, you are not. You are liars. This is New England. And you people know how to celebrate. You know how to clap your hands. And you know how to shout. You just shout for the wrong things. This is you. This is New England. They're quiet around. Did you see how many people got on their knees for the Patriots? Like they didn't ask them to. Nobody in July Stadium was, everybody on your knees, everybody on your knees. These are the Patriots we're talking about. No, they just were like, oh, oh, no. They got the pig skin across that line. Oh, my gosh. And it was like, what is going on? They worshiped. 
You worship. I got no beef with you worshiping the patriots and celebrating their wins, but please don't do it for them and not for Jesus. Some of you ladies in the house, you're like, I thank God I'm not a man. Because we women are very dignified. We're very calm. We're very not outspoken. Liars. I got one for you. Ladies, this is you. Heaven. You go to 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 heaven. Everybody in Jesus goes to heaven. Woo! Come on, somebody. What I'm talking about is there's something that happens to us when we get really good news. Some of us need to internalize the reality that no matter what's happening on the outside, no matter what we're facing, no matter what enemy is coming against us, that someday soon Jesus Christ is coming back for us. And if he's waiting too long for us to wait for him, then when we die, we go straight into the presence of the living God and we see him in his glory and we will be with him forever. No sin, no shame, no death, no hell. And I wonder who today is not shouting because you're letting the enemy shout louder than you. See, the word ruah is a military word. It's, it's exactly what the military, what our Marines make it. It is a shout of declaration. We win. Even before we win, we win. Because sometimes that shout is enough to intimidate the enemy. What are they shouting about? Why are they so excited? They must know something we don't. Yes, we got a winner. In heaven, his name is Jesus. Letter A in your notes. When I shout, I declare God. I declare, uh, when I shout to God, I declare his victory over every enemy in my life. Some of you are letting depression shout louder than your salvation. Some of you are letting your job frustrations shout down your praise. Some of you are letting suicidal thoughts Shout at you. You're worthless. The world would be better without you. Why do we even keep on living? Shouting at you. The devil's a shouter. We need to shout back. We need to shout back to let him know we're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to be intimidated anymore. We're not going to let him have the final shout. The cross happened. The grave is empty. We win. And then he says in verse 6, let's bow down. Let us bow down and let us kneel. I wonder, and I'm really being serious when I ask this question, when was the last time you kneeled before God? 
See, this word worship here in verse 6, it means to lay prostrate on the ground and just to get flat before the Lord, as if to say, you have overwhelmed me with who you are. There's, a, there's another place where this, where this word in verse 6 shows up in the Bible in a negative place. It's in Proverbs 12, 25. It says this, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. There the word in Hebrew is translated weighs him down, where in Psalm 95, verse 6, it's translated worship. Because there's only like 5,000 Hebrew words in the Bible. So a lot of the words mean different things. And here he's saying, anxiety has caused you, and I wonder about this, how many of you, that's your life right now. Anxiety has done this to you. And you're bowing to anxiety, to worry, to depression, to fear, to what might happen when the God in, in the universe, the God of the universe sent his son as a witness and, and sent him to a cross for you to set you free from what might happen? Do you think that the God in heaven who would do that for you would withhold anything good from you? I mean, the Bible even says it. If he did not withhold his own son from us, will he not with him give us freely all things? Don't let worry weigh you down. Don't let worry bend you down. What are you bowing to? Are you bowing to your fears and your anxieties? Or are you bowing to the God who is over all that stuff? Let him be the greatest being in your life. Some of you are ex experts. You're experts at worshiping worry. Do you know what I mean by this? You just talk about it all the time. Somebody asks you, hey, how you doing? And you're like, oh, don't get me started. Don't get me started. I got this, I got that, I got this, I got that. I got that. 15 minutes later, they were like, I was actually just saying hello. How many of us know? It's just a contract to say, how are you doing? I'm not really interested in the answer. I'm just, it's just, you know, what we do. And some of you, whenever somebody talks to you, it's just, bleh, you just emotionally vomit all over them. Like, oh, my kid is doing this, and my wife in this job, and on top of all that, Trump, Trump, Trump. <laughs> what are you doing? You are celebrating the things that you cannot control instead of celebrating the one who controls it all and loves you. So let her be, when I bow down to God, I declare he's larger than any problem in my life. He's larger than my worry. It's not that I'm not going to have worry. It's that he's larger than it. We got to get to point two or we'll never finish. <laughs> number, number two, worship consists of singing biblical confessions which inform my mind. You know why we sing? Because when we sing, we teach our minds how to think. This is a proven scientific fact. This is why God tells us to sing. Because when we sing, we remember. Now, I remember. This is just as an illustration, actually, kind of a cool illustration. Um, the Chicago Tribune, okay, 2018, came up with the benefits of singing a tune. And I want to put them on the screen because it's really cool. The benefits of singing. Now, they were not talking about Christian singing. They were just saying singing, singing. So watch out what you sing, because here's what it says. Five big 
benefits. Number one, it relieves stress. Singing is a natural antidepressant. Number two, it improves the immune system because singing is a lung exercise. The stronger that your lungs are, the healthier your immune system is. So those of you who don't sing at Waters Church, please do not shake my hand after the service. You might have some germs that you can't fight off. Okay. Number three, it alleviates snoring. Ladies, get your husbands to sing. There you go. Number four, it reduces loneliness, singing in groups especially, obviously. And number five, it improves memory. In 2003, they did a study. They used singing to help people suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia. I, I remember when I was nine years old, I was sent to youth camp. Nine years old, I was sent to youth camp. It was in upper, upstate New York. And I remember it was 1986, and the World Cup of Soccer was going on in Mexico. And I remember that that year, because it was, this World Cup was going on, at the exact time we were at camp, they said, hey, guys, here's what we're going to do to have fun this week at camp. We're going to split half of you up into the Brazil team. Half of you are going to be Argentinian. And so, yeah, we're like, okay. And then we're like, okay, so to be real like Brazilians and Argentinians, we're going to learn a song in Spanish. And we're going to sing it all week. And we're going to know this song for the rest of our lives. We're like, yeah, whatever. And they, and they taught us this song. And I can't, I, I'm telling you, this is 33 years ago. I remember the words. I can't speak a lick of Spanish. I remember the words to this day. I want to sing it for you. And I want you to see. Can you, can you know, do you know this song by how I sing it? Okay, ready? ready? Here, here we go. Yo tengo gozo, 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 gozo en mi corazón. En mi corazón, en mi corazón, yo tengo gozo, 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 gozo en mi corazón, en mi corazón, sí, sí. Thank you, you're a lovely audience. Tip your waitresses. What's the song? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. ¿Dónde? Down in my heart, I got the joy, 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 down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart to stay. That song is up in here. That Spanish is up in here because of that song. What do you sing? You sing the songs on the radio? You sing the songs written about lovers that jilted you? Or people that cheated on you? Or how life sucks for you? Or, do you, or how you've got a reason to be angry for the rest of your life because of how you were brought up? Or are you going to sing the songs of Zion? The songs of the Lord? The songs that talk about the grave still being empty? That Jesus is still on the throne? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my life. Not be all else to me. Say what thou art. What, what's that song talking about? You, God, be my focus today so that I am not distracted by crazy, upsetting realities. Number three in your notes. Worship softens my heart to hear God's voice and opens my mind to receive his word. It, it softens my heart. That's why we do it before I preach. So that your heart gets a little needed by the hand of the Lord. And you put yourself out there. Yes. You put yourself out there. Here's what I want next week. Here's what I want. I want us as a church to get out of the nasty habit of coming late. Show up on time to sing the Lord's songs. How about we actually do what the preacher's talking about? That's weird. We don't usually do that. 
We usually just walk away and judge the value of the content. <laughs> what if we actually did it? What if you actually showed up on time for the Lord? So, well, the Lord's everywhere. No, this is saying, let us, let us, let us do this together. And let us tell this area and let us tell our hearts and let us tell our minds that God is with us. So let me just finish this talk because I can't, I can't leave this out. Look at verse 7. It says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. Today, if you hear his voice, stop there. Leave the passage up there for me. Look at who's talking in verse 7 here. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice. Put a little line right there between voice and eight. Put a little line, little line. Because notice what happens after verse eight starts. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa. These are the wilderness wanderings when they complained about not having water. When your fathers put, what's that pronoun? Me to the test and put me to the proof. Though they had seen my work. Did you see what happened in this song? It starts with the choir director asking God's people to sing and make noise and bow down and kneel. And suddenly God starts speaking straight to his people. I wonder here who needs God to speak to them. You're saying, I, I wish that God would speak to me. You know, Tim, you talked about that conversation you had with God about worship and him saying he doesn't need anything from you. I want that kind of relationship with the Lord. I want to have a conversation with him. Okay. Worship him. Open your mind and open your heart and open your mouth and sing. And I'm telling you, this is a fact. I have seen it in my life hundreds of times. It's biblical. When you worship he starts speaking. And how awesome would it be to have a conversational relationship with the God of heaven and earth on a daily basis. And he needs nothing from you.